You're listening to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast on the Odyssey Robots Radio Network. Hello, what's up, and welcome to anyone who may be listening out there in the podcast abyss. My name is Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, and you're listening to episode 14 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. It's going to be yet another scintillating episode of the podcast, as today we're going to delve into some thoughts on the increasingly remote nature of life in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, pros, cons, myths, myth-busting, Hey, it's going to be great, but before that, let's settle in and talk about what's been going on in the life sensational of late. I'm actually recording this episode on a Saturday, which is not typical. I typically record this show during the week, but this last week was a bit odd as we were coming off the heels of... Was, was it Labor Day weekend? I, I can never get the, these rando uh, three-day weekends. Uh, Labor Day, Memorial Day, etc., etc. Um, all praise be to wh- whoever the holidays are meant to memorialize, whatever they're for, that's great. Uh, as far as just uh, on the utilitarian side of things, thinking of them as three-day weekends, I can never keep these things straight. We had one recently. I do think it was Labor Day. Um, the point being that uh, this last week's uh, Tuesday was more or less, it's Monday for me. And um, Mondays are sensational manner recovery day for me. I try to do as little uh, domestic work, house cleaning as possible during the weekend. And then I catch up and make up for it on Mondays. I spend all day Monday cleaning the house. But uh, this week, uh, Tuesday was Monday. And Tuesdays are typically the day when I record this show. So I got uh, buried in house cleaning did not record. To make matters worse, it was a very strange week here uh, weather-wise in Northern California. As some of you, as, as those of you who live here know, and as those of you who don't may have heard, we've had some extreme uh, fire conditions uh, the past few weeks. And um, this week was the week where the air outside got the weirdest. And there was, uh, I think, I, I, yeah, I didn't record the show Tuesday. Then I was going to do it on Wednesday, but Wednesday the sun basically never came out. It was dark all day due to strange uh, configuration of weather patterns and smoke and this, that, and the third. Uh, We had just kind of a dark reddish sky all day long, so I just kind of sat around and didn't do anything. It was very hard to get up enough to... uh, record an episode of the show and then the rest of the week everyone else was here doing their work from home school from home and I could not really get a word in edgewise as I need to do in order to record the podcast but now here we are on a Saturday all the other members of the sensational family are out doing their own thing and I am actually sitting here in I, I not totally accurate Miss Sensational 2 12 years old is actually here in the house and so I was going to say I'm actually sitting in her room at her desk recording this show because it's a room of the house that I can comfortably sit at and she's not in here and she doesn't have to listen to me and she's out there playing Roblox or some other abominable uh, computer game that the uh, today's youth are wont to do. So as we ease into the show here, um, I wanted to talk about one thing that I was thinking of when I was just uh, mentioning how things have been wild and crazy with the fires here lately. Um, and that is how living through a disaster or series series of disasters in a particular region is a good lesson in applying a certain amount of contextualization 
to disasters or just really any other news story you read about um, from far-flung regions that you yourself do not reside in. And what I mean by this is during the last month or so where the fires have been raging here in California, pretty much everyone I know that lives outside of California has at one time or another pretty much become convinced that I'm either dead or you know, my house burned down, or I'm in some kind of imminent physical danger. And, you know, not to tempt the fire fates, but I'm most certainly none of the above. I, the, the Other than bad air, these fires have not affected me personally at all um, this time around. Uh, back in 2017, I did live in uh, Santa Rosa, California, the same town that uh, Icy Robots still resides in. And that was a fire where um, that town itself got pretty heavily affected. And, you know, people I know uh, did lose houses, did lose property. Um, but uh, the point here is that California is a very big place. <laughs> and so... Uh, when you read headlines that, you know, all of California burns, um, yeah, there's fires everywhere here right now, but the, it's not, you know, I'm not looking out my window seeing one. It, it, your your mileage varies wildly depending on where you yourself are situated. And it makes you realize that that's the same whenever something like this is going on. Like when I read about uh, hurricanes or tornadoes in the Gulf Coast, you know, I tend to, my mind conjures up an image, oh, I guess everyone who lives, lives there drowned. And it, Really, these things are much more nuanced than that. Um, disasters are horrible, and um, I, you know, am empathetic to anyone who is being affected by uh, the fires here or any other natural disasters elsewhere in the country or world. I'm certainly not downplaying that, but the point um, that I'm trying to make is that generally, um, since there are many of us still here, disasters are not really extinction-level events. But oftentimes the way that they are reported on or presented uh, makes it seem that way to people on the outside. Now, I think that there's kind of a point to that. There's a reason for it. And I certainly, certainly do not want to be, uh, I'm not trying to be the, uh, you can't trust that their media guy. No, that's not me. But, you know, I, I feel like when, when people are reporting on disasters, of course they have to focus on the worst aspects of them because they're trying to uh, put them out there um, to people that aren't immediately in the vicinity to let them know what's happening, let them understand the gravity of what's happening. And then there is gravity behind these things. But I think that you as a media consumer, um, and me as a media consumer, it's helpful to kind of filter that and, and balance it and make it so that you understand that uh, a bad thing is happening and it needs your attention and it needs to be addressed, but simultaneously the world is not ending. So yeah, not a uh, the media is lying to you rant. <laughs> and is there anything worse than talking about the media? I mean, what does that even mean? I guess that's another topic for another day, along with my abiding distaste for the uh, notion of objective journalism. But again, another topic, another time. I uh, just wanted to put it out there that it, it's it's helpful to kind of have a check-in sometimes and remember to contextualize what you read and... Um, just be mindful of the fact that a lot of times what's going on on the ground at any particular place and time is probably a lot more varied and diverse than what um, it shows up in more general reporting that you may read or watch or listen to. 
Um, I feel like a lot of times, not even talking about disasters, but just talking about regions of the country or the world in general, uh, we tend to fall into like, well, in California, they do X and in Idaho, they do Y. And the reality is these places are much more complicated and varied than that. I've been to pretty much almost all of these states in the United States and the experiences that you will have there as an individual usually bear very, um, some resemblance, but not as much resemblance as you will go in expecting um, to uh, what is um, generally thought of as the blanket stereotypes for these places. And with that, let's take a quick break and then move on to talking about doing stuff online. Oh, actually, before that, uh, something I keep forgetting to uh, throw out there is some minor plugging. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, which I do not use that often, but I probably will begin to use more as this show continues and if I connect with more people on there, you can find me at Sensational Vega. You can also look me up, Gino Vega, on Facebook. If you want to become Facebook friends, I am open to any and all Facebook friend requests uh, that arise from this show. Uh, yeah, just wanted to put those out there. And if you would like to support what we do here at the IC Robots Radio Network, please visit supportthereport.com where you can become a Patreon member for as little as $1 a month. You will help support what we do here on the network and you will receive access to all kinds of stellar Patreon content. That's supportthereport.com. Welcome back to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. You know, it's funny. I remember um, back in March when uh, the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic began in earnest for those of us here in the United States, um, listening to an infectious disease uh, reporter for the New York Times. I'd actually already heard this guy a few times warning that this is basically what was going to be happening. And I remember finding him extremely irritating at that time because, you know, we tend to get angry at the messenger for things. Um, plus, this guy does have a really annoying voice that kind of grates on me, and that's coming from someone with an annoying voice that probably grates on people. As I listen to the Mr. Sensational Cheeto Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'd listen to this guy um, on the New York Times Daily podcast probably in... I don't know, I guess it was February or something, and I remember him uh, warning everyone, um, expect significant disruptions to your daily life as a result of this virus. And I was like, yeah, whatever, dude, shut up. And then the significant disruptions uh, began shortly thereafter. Um, I remember another thing that he had mentioned that uh, irritated me at the time was um, 
If everyone simply stayed in their house for two weeks, uh, receiving the minimal amount of calories needed to survive, the entire virus would be eradicated and we could go back to life as normal. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to sit in my house for two weeks just having minimal calories. You got to be out of your mind. <laughs> but think about it now, man. If we had just spent two weeks, this it, theoretically, if this guy's right and would be over, that seems amazing. It's funny how perspective shifts. And here we are now, what is it, six months later? Six months of this sort of half-life kind of uh, staying in our homes, kind of not, kind of things being shut down, kind of not. And with six months of this new normal under my belt um, and looking back at it, I realize that for me, hardly anything has changed. And that is uh, directly because even before the COVID pandemic began, I realized I was living and have continued to live a pretty socially distanced life. For the last 15 years, my work has involved either being an at-home parent or working from home, um, doing marketing writing. Um, so I haven't left the house for a job in at least 15 years. I don't really go to live events very often, maybe like once a year. Um, most of my friendships are maintained through uh, text or private messages. Um, I stream TV and movies and music. Uh, so a lot of the at-home things that people have had to wrestle with or come to terms with over the last six months were already part of my day-to-day -day normal routine. And pre-pandemic, I hadn't, I don't think, truly realized um, how different my daily routine, my kind of uh, around-the-house lifestyle uh, was and is from um, what a lot of other people experience. Um, and in neither a good nor bad way, just different. Um, but now that circumstances have forced the kind of larger culture, the larger society, as it were, um, to have to kind of adapt to some of this more online, remote type um, living, it's given me pause to look back and reflect on some of this stuff. And what I want to talk about, I guess, today is... Generally speaking, I feel like there tends to be a premium put on, I guess, physical interactions, face-to-face -face interactions, physical things, physical storage mediums, physical objects, and virtual experiences, virtual communication oftentimes is thought of as kind of inherently lesser. And I wonder if it actually is. I guess I should say up front, I don't think that it actually is. Um, I think that uh, mediums are neither good nor bad. They are a tool to uh, convey meaning. And if that meaning is conveyed, then the medium is successful, regardless of what it is. Um, so anyway, uh, just this last week, um, amidst all of the uh, nonsense that I was talking about earlier with the no sun coming up and smoke in the air and fires all around. Uh, one bright spot, uh, I guess pun intended, <laughs> over the course of last week is we had back to school night for uh, Miss Sensational 2. And now 
both uh, Miss Sensational 1, who's 15, and Miss Sensational 2, who is 12, both of them are going to school online currently. They have um, Monday through Friday, I think they have about three hours of instruction via Zoom, and then um, that starts in the afternoon. That starts at noon because they're both because of their last name in the afternoon track. That's how the schools split it up for them. Um, and, but then uh, they're supposed to start theoretically at eight. So like three or four hours before the uh, Zoom classes start, they're supposed to be doing what the school calls asynchronous learning, which is basically doing their homework. Um, but they're not, you know, online talking to a teacher. Um, so... A lot of people I know have been really freaked out about their kids being in online school. Um, and I know, you know, people's mileage may vary. Everyone has their own situation, needs, etc. But just from my own perspective, it's been awesome. Like my two kids, you know, they're comfortable uh, taking the classes online. Um, you know, they're used to using computers and screens. We um, are fortunate enough to have access to all the equipment that we need. Um, I don't have to take them to school in the morning. <laughs> I don't have to stop what I'm doing midday and go pick them up. It's all just happening under the roof of our home. Um, so I've actually kind of found that to be a net positive, to be totally honest with you, just for our particular family, our particular circumstances. And I do understand how that might be different for other people. But either way, totally regardless, we had back to school night um, the last week for two. And man, there I... I dare anyone to come up with a reason why virtual back to school night is not just infinitely better than physical in-person back to school night. Uh, back to school night, virtual back to school night consisted of uh, Ms. Sensational, my wife and I sitting down at the kitchen table and watching a very brief uh, YouTube presentation from the principal. Um, and then going and watching YouTube uh, presentations from each of Ms. Two's teachers. We were done in a brisk, I'd say like maybe 40 minutes. It didn't involve driving anywhere, parking anywhere, jostling into a gym, having to listen to everyone else's questions and answers. Man, it was great. Um, so that's an example where I think that um, a virtual uh, situation is actually just so much better than face-to-face. -face. And again, culturally, I think we have a bias towards face-to-face, -face, but I think this is an example, and there's others like it, where it's okay, you can let it go. We're, uh, human beings evolve. We evolve, our technology is part of our evolution. Our, uh, as uh, our bodies become more intertwined with the devices we use, we're probably changing into a different kind of species. But hey, that's world history. You know, we're not, we're not Neanderthals anymore. We're not Cro-Magnon man or woman or other. It, we're, we're moving moving towards an end, and that end is becoming some sort of virtual cyborg uh, creature. And I'm okay with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, but interestingly, in my group of age peers, I feel like I'm definitely in a minority on this subject. Being in my mid-40s, I realized that uh, my generation is one where... Um, your childhood could have gone, um, I mean, it could have gone a number of ways, but it could have gone really two, two diametrically opposed uh, directions when it came to uh, technology. Um, you could have been a kid like me who was an early adopter of kind of 
online um, technology, computers, etc., and got very used to screens pretty early on in my life. I mean, I definitely remember a pre-screen or primitive screen time period. You know, I remember having to get up and turn the dial on the television. But um, also pretty early on in my life, I became comfortable with using computers and, and other devices. But I know other people that like didn't start use, that around my age that didn't even, you know, they had no reason to be exposed to computers, to that kind of technology, and didn't even really start using them until they were closer to like already a fully formed adult. So they don't feel as, as comfortable in the digital realm, as it were. Um, and then also because of the fact that any of us in our age group grew up uh, with a lot of, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, analog uh, objects in our world, um, particularly in those formative childhood years, there's definitely nostalgia towards them. And um, certainly, I, I mean, almost everyone I know um, prefers, you know, uh, physical storage mediums, records, uh, physical uh, comic books, etc., to um, their digital counterparts. And again, I'm kind of a weirdo in that regard. So I'm going to come out. I'm going to come out of the closet here, as it were. I kind of like digital stuff, man. And I, all you know, totally understand people that uh, are into collecting physical objects, physical storage memes. I particularly understand like with certain things like records, because that really is like its own, its own deal. But then, like, I know people that insist, um, I think, like, my brother's on this tip, like, you know, insist on um, buying physical copies of video games. And I don't mean, like, video games where there's an allure to the physicality, you know, like an old Atari 2600 cartridge or even, like, a Nintendo cartridge. But, like, you know, a new PlayStation 4 game that just came out last month to go out and buy the physical copy where I just feel like the physicality of those no longer means anything. So, I, and in my case, uh, this is another example where... Um, the digital experience is actually just inarguably better than the physical. I had, I think it was like my PlayStation 3. I was still sometimes buying physical, you know, disc games and then sometimes uh, downloading games online off the PlayStation Store. Because I think, I think that was the first generation where you could fully just like purchase all your games online and download them. Um, but at a certain point... Um, the, some laser or lens or something or other in the PlayStation 3 uh, broke and it was no longer able to read discs, rendering all of my physical games useless. And it would have cost uh, more to try to fix the thing than just buying a new PlayStation 3. And it just made me realize, man, all the digital games I have, it doesn't matter. I can play them. I could chuck this PlayStation 3 out the window, smash it, uh, throw it in the gutter, go buy another um, as a man once said, um, and when I got the new one, all those games would still be there. They would just pop right back up, repopulate immediately. Why would why would you limit yourself to this clunkier, more expensive storage medium? In this case, where there's just no, to me, no aesthetic uh, value, no nostalgic value. It's like I can play, I have the exact same experience playing the same game, whether I buy this cheesy disc, because it's not like they come with like cool packaging anymore or like there's anything like that. Buy this cheesy disc and either it'll get scratched and broken enough to rebuy it or the machine will no longer be able to read it. Or I can just purchase these oftentimes less expensive digital versions that basically can't be killed. <laughs> so um, kind of gone that way with all of my um, entertainment media now. Um, you know, I pay a nominal fee each month to listen to a Apple Music and 
no records get warped. I don't lose anything. It's all anything I want to listen to is there and I can afford it. <laughs> you know, I'm not, uh, breaking the bank, uh, just to listen to a couple songs. Same goes with, uh, you know, I use comicsology to read comic books. I'm really burying myself here. <laughs> and again, you know, absolutely no shade on people that, that, um, don't want to go that route. I, I understand, but I'm just saying for me, and I'm just saying that, um, things are not either inherently good nor bad based on, uh, the format in which you consume them. And for me too, there's the added wrinkle where, uh, were I to try to, um, keep it analog and do the kind of stuff that people like ISR do so well with like collecting things and, and finding, uh, objects at, at flea markets and stuff like that. I just, the way I'm wired, I would go mad because I have some pretty debilitating OCD tendencies and I don't think I would be able to handle, um, you know, I, I, I love listening to people talk about collecting and I admire it, but like, I wouldn't be able to make decisions like, um, I would have to collect everything and you can't collect everything. <laughs> and so I would lose my mind. And so it's just much easier for me to um, kind of float around out here in the digital realm. Uh, like Flynn, when he was sucked into uh, the Tron game or whatever. Just think of me. Think of me as, as uh, 2020 Flynn. Swimming in the ones and zeros, usually upstream. Uh, but kind of this more superficial stuff aside, I want to go back and kind of close this out. Just talking about this, um, idea that people seem to have, and this comes a lot up a lot with schooling, but with all kinds of social interaction that you can't socialize remotely, that there's somehow, um, there's something that actually, uh, you know, screens and devices are ruining the youth. And to me, that is just beyond whack. Um, Another another disclosure here, further burial um, to all the parents out there. I do not limit my children's screen use in the slightest. And the main reason for this is that I do not limit my own screen use in the slightest. So I just feel like a horrible hypocrite if I was imposing these limitations on them that I don't impose on myself. And interestingly, they do a pretty good job as most of us do of self-regulating because it's like, you can't, you know, they, there's times when they got to go do other stuff. And so they set the screen aside and by not imposing kind of strictures and limitations and treating it as a taboo, treating the screen as a taboo object. Uh, we don't get into the power struggles about it that actually then compel people to want to use the, the forbidden fruit even more. And so for me, again, you know, Parental mileage varies, but uh, it's worked out well, and I don't I don't regret that decision. Even though um, the peer pressure and social pressure tends to be that you need to somehow be the gatekeeper of your children's screen use. I think screen use, not youth. <laughs> but and again, my kids are a little bit older, so it's a little bit different. But uh, maybe than with a little kid, but I don't know. I uh, feel like whenever parents try to in impose these restrictions, it just ends up. The kid ends up doing whatever their parents are trying to get them not to do just as much anyway, and there's just a lot of fighting and weird stuff involved. <laughs> so as a child whose screen use was limited, that, <laughs> that's my take on it. Uh, there's also this mentality that I know my parents and their age peers had, but I creepily see it with like a lot of people my own age too, that like you're not uh, 
you know, doing anything worthwhile when you're on a screen, you're not making friends, you're not creating anything. And in my screen life, in my experience, that could not be further from the truth. I mean, this show right here is really an extension of online technology and time spent online and uh, the great strides that have been made in that uh, type of technology just over like even the last 10 years where I'm able to do this, you know, sitting in my 12-year-old daughter's room uh, with a pretty inexpensive equipment. Uh, it doesn't require some prohibitive recording studio. Um, speaking of which, it always cracks me up when I listen to pro podcasts and they talk about all their staff and producers and editors. Bro, you don't need it. Trust me. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you could sound a little bit better than, than I do, but I, this is like as bare bones as it gets, and it's fine, I think. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you you don't feel the same way, but yeah, God. Sometimes it just like cracks me up the amount of uh, production that goes into podcasts that I just don't think is uh, necessary. I mean, look at ISR. He's got the best produced prod- podcast known to man, and he's it's a, a one-man shop. So uh, anyhow, uh, taking it back even further, uh, you know, my family, my nuclear family only exists by way of, uh, socializing online. Uh, when I was a kid and I may have talked about this on a previous episode back before the multi-year break, but who knows, I could either go back and look up what I talked about in the old episodes, or I could actually record new ones. So I'm just blazing ahead. Um, anyway, when I was a, a young person, when I was like 14, uh, my family got our first bonafide family computer. Uh, it was an Epson computer, if I remember correctly, this very boxy beige behemoth. And um, it came with a modem, a 2400 baud modem, which was used to connect to, it wasn't even dial-up internet. Basically, it was used to call other modems. So uh, if I, if you, you had your computer hooked up to a phone line and I had your phone number, and I called that number with my modem, my computer could connect to your computer. And if your computer was running what was known as bulletin board system software, I could basically uh, interact with what I guess, I mean, for lack of a better term, was kind of like a primitive website, um, which was the bulletin board system you were hosting on your computer. Bulletin board systems were kind of like, really like message boards. Um, Typically, they would have different uh, topic sections um, they would also host downloads. Um, first time I ever downloaded something was calling up a bulletin board system and just be having my mind blown that I was able to, through use of a phone line, uh, get software transferred onto my computer rather than like having to go out to a store and buy a floppy disk and bring it home. And it was a total fluke that I even found out about bulletin board systems because I had gone to a comic book convention might have even been the San Diego comic book convention um, back when it was just kind of like a big convention center room full of uh, long boxes with comic books in them that stores were selling <laughs> and a couple couple like artists and writers signing autographs. But uh, I think that is where I got it. So I was really into um, the Myth Adventure series of books by Robert Asprin at the time. And when I was at the convention, I'd gotten a Myth Adventures fanzine. And it just so happened that the fanzine had a uh, advertisement for a Myth Adventures bulletin board system. And the number just happened to be a 707 area code number, which was the area code in Santa Rosa where I lived. Um, so, and my parents just got this computer. And I was like, oh, I can call this thing and see what it's all about. And so I called this thing and it was basically... 
a bulletin board with different message boards set up to talk about different aspects of the uh, Myth Adventures series. You know, you could post what you thought about different stuff or, you know, people could post about news they'd heard about the franchise. Um, but there was also this amazing thing that there was a button to page a sysop or system operator. So I was like, oh, whoa, you can page the person who's running this and talk to them. And so... <laughs> I'd call this bulletin board system and I just kept hitting the page button over and over and over and over again and nothing would happen. So I emailed the, the system operator, the sysop, and I was like, I think something might be wrong with your uh, um, page button. I, I keep paging and nothing's happening. And I got this very irritated reply. And it was like, I'm a single individual fan running this hobby bulletin board system. I'm not here 24-7 to answer your call. And in fact, you're using our bulletin board way too much because it's like a one phone line. So when I'm on there, no one else can go on. So, you know, I'm just this dumb kid on there just for hours tying up the line. So I just felt totally mortified. I don't think I ever went back to that system. But when I was on that bulletin board system, I found a directory where they uh, listed all of these other 707 number systems. And these things ranged wildly from like, you know, uh, bulletin board systems where people would just kind of like talk to each other about whatever or, you know, there was a Star Trek themed one where people talked about Star Trek. There was a, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy themed one that also uh, behind a hidden door uh, may or may not have hosted some uh, pirated software you could download. Uh, there was uh, my favorite one was a bulletin board system, a local one called Metropolis, where a guy named Cliff and his son Quinn ran this board where each of the different message boards were a different part of this fictional city Metropolis. And you created a character uh, and it was kind of like D&D, &D, but without any dice rolling, you would say what you were going to do uh, to a person, and then it was that person's responsibility to, you know, come up with how they thought things should go. So it's like, I mean, not that everything was conflict, but I'm just going to use conflict as an example. I'd say, you know, my guy punches your guy in the face, although I'd probably, you know, you do it more artfully, and there was a lot more personality involved. <laughs> but I would say that I punched you in the face, but I wouldn't, I couldn't say, I was not allowed by the rules of the system to say uh, what happened. That was up to you. Then you could say like, oh, my face exploded and turned into a flower. Or you could say, I ducked the punch, you know. But Metropolis was fun because it was a mashup of all types of sci-fi and fantasy. So you had characters that were like comic book superheroes. They and These had to be original characters. These weren't, you know, uh, there was a, a ban against copyrighted uh, works. You, you had to come up with your own. But people would come up with like comic book style superheroes. Some, some people had like science fiction characters. Some people had comedy characters, uh, you know, uh, medieval fantasy characters. It was just this great mashup in the both uh, high tech sci-fi metropolis, uh, metropolis, but that also had like the Green Dragon Pub where, you know, D&D &D type heads were we're hanging out. So it was just, it was a delightful mashup and a lot of fun. And I spent a lot of time on there, but anyway, uh, it turned out that, um, all of the folks that, uh, participated in this local 707 bulletin board system scene, because that's the funny thing about this is you were interacting with strangers, but they were all local because you're calling within your area code. I did for a while call boards outside of my area code and got into quite a bit of uh, trouble with my parents. But, uh, that's another topic. Um, I, I used to get in trouble for making weird phone calls as a child, and that was one of them. Um, but uh, I figured out that there were these monthly meetings at a roundtable pizza in Santa Rosa for an outfit known as MORE, M-O-R-E, Modem Users of the Redwood Empire. And uh, me and some friends of mine ended up talking our parents into letting us go to one of these meetings, um... 
And I remember there was also a lot of skepticism from our parents that like, we weren't being sociable enough because we're always using this, these modems and these computers. And it's like, folks, ex precisely what we are doing here is socializing. Uh, so anyway, we went to this meeting to now go from online socializing to socializing face-to-face. -face. Cause again, it's all a hybrid, you know, it's, it's not, one is not better than the other. It all works together. So anyway, we went down to uh, the Round Table Pizza and met this wild and zany cast of characters um, that represented the modem user universe of Sonoma County, uh, the county that Santa Rosa was in. And that's where I met Ms. Sensational, my wife now of 18 years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to say that online socializing is inherently lesser than face-to-face to me is patently absurd. And I know we are swung way over to the other pendulum right now with COVID and the inability to really socialize in person um, to the extent that we are used to. Um, but I kind of hope that when things kind of swing back, people maybe get hip to what I've kind of already learned by my own weird um, online life, that th there are positives and we can incorporate some of this more into um, our non- COVID-tinged life, if that ever comes to be. Uh, do we really need to drive to back-to-school nights? Do we really need to be in the physical office every hour of the workday? Um, can we make friends that we have not met in person? I know I have. <laughs> uh, a lot of the people that I know that I've met through doing this show, I've never met in person. I'm very likely never will, but uh, I consider them friends. I don't think there's anything less of it. And I never would have met them otherwise. So um, yeah, just to just to look at some of the uh, upsides of what's historically been thought of as antisocial online behavior, a love note, as it were, to life online. Here's to screens. Here's to downloads. Here's to modems. Here's to the internet. I don't know about you, but I love it all. Um, and with that, I have been running off at the mouth for entirely too long, so it is time to call another episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. I guess the, the final thing I will say, as, as a uh, college uh, instructor of mine once so aptly put it, your eyes are not windows. So even face-to-face -face interaction is virtual of a kind. Um, nothing is real in this world um, as far as physical objects go. It's all perception. And whether we perceive it as an object or whether we perceive it as a virtual presentation of an object, we perceive it all the same. I don't mean we perceive everything the same. I mean, it, it, it's all a perception. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Time to sign off. This is Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Down at the pizza pit, and I drive a no Hyundai. I still live with my mom and dad I'm five foot three and overweight I'm a sci-fi